from the campuses of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia. This is Religion for Life. I'm John Schuck. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Our website is fpcelizabethton.org. At Religion for Life, we explore the intersection of religion, social justice, sexuality, science, public life. It's all religion. You can find more information about the program at religionforlife.com. When I was in seminary, we learned about a figure named Marcion, M-A-R-C-I-O-N. And Marcion was considered to be a heretic. And a heretic is not a good thing. A heretic, even in fact, Marcion was considered to be the arch-heretic, the heretic of all heretics, a really bad guy. Early church father Tertullian had this to say uh, about Marcion, speaking about Marcion's birthplace, Pontus. Marcion is more savage than even the beasts of that barbarous region. For what beaver was ever a greater emasculator than he who has abolished the nuptial bond? What pontic mouse ever had such a gnawing powers as he who has gnawed the Gospels to pieces? A contemporary of Marcion, Justin Martyr, had this to say, And there is Marcion, a man of Pontus, who is even at this day alive, and teaching his disciples to believe in some other god greater than the Creator, and he, by the aid of the devils, has caused many of every nation to speak blasphemies and to deny that God is the maker of this universe, and so forth and so on. Now, I have always had a soft spot for heretics. Actually, heresy simply means choice, and I kind of like the idea of choice. So I was interested in, in Marcion, the bad guy, and, uh, and I've come to find that the categories of heresy and orthodoxy are a little overblown. They represent power struggles for those who claim to be on, in the in-club and those whose views are on the outside. But really, Christianity from its very beginnings, was quite diverse. Today, we'll take a new look at an early figure of Christianity, Marcion, the creator of the first New Testament. My guest is Jason Badoon. He is the Associate Professor of Religious Studies at Northern Arizona University. Uh, his areas of research include biblical studies, ancient Christianities, Manichaeism, Religions of West Asia and Late Antiquity, Ritual and Self-Forming Practices, and Method and Theory in the Study of Religion and History. He is the author of The Manichaean Body in Discipline and Ritual, which was the recipient of the American Academy of Religion's Best First Book Award in the category of History and Religions. He's also the author of Truth in Translation, Accuracy and Bias in English Translations of the New Testament. The book that he just finished um, that we are going to be talking about today is called The First New Testament, Marcion's Scriptural Canon. He is with me via Skype from Flagstaff, Arizona. Welcome, Dr. Badoon, to Religion for Life. Hey, John. Happy to be with you. Uh, how did this book, the first New Testament, Marcion's Scriptural Canon, come to be? Well, it's one of those things that uh, when you're working at a university and you're, you're teaching New Testament classes all the time, like I am, uh, you have lots of thoughts and ideas of projects you can do. And uh, I was also chair of a department, and I needed a project where I could work in short bursts, and that really works well with a textual study like this is. So you're analyzing little bits of text 
from day to day, hour to hour, as you have an opportunity in between your other duties. And it's sort of built up over about eight year process through that. And of course, your book is really a reconstruction of Marcion's uh, canon of scripture. We're going to talk about that in, in a little bit, but uh, to set this up, uh, Marcion, I remember hearing about him in seminary. In fact, he comes up quite a lot uh, just this past week. I read some comment on the internet in which the author accused his opponent of being like Marcion. Uh, that is, uh, from his point of view, disregarding a portion of Scripture that didn't fit his preconceived theological beliefs. And and so, uh, in fact, one of the things I remember about studying uh, Marcion in seminary was that he supposedly uh, reduced the size of the New Testament to a shortened Gospel of Luke and the letters of Paul, and and uh, and then and disregarded the Old Testament. What I read in your book is that there really wasn't a New Testament before Marcion, and even though the documents that later came to be uh, canonized as a New Testament had mostly been written by Marcion's time, there's no canon, no authoritative collection, no New Testament as such. Is that right? That's right. A lot of people think that uh, the Bible comes first and uh, Christianity comes from the Bible, but in fact there were anywhere from 10 to 15 generations of Christians before there was a New Testament canon finally settled upon. And as you said, a lot of the writings were already written by the time of Marcion, but they were simply circulating independently and separately from each other. Some were treated very reverentially, some were treated very casually. And it was really Marcion who for the first time sat down and decided on a limited set of texts that would have kind of ultimate authority for the Christian communities. So well then, was he aware of other texts? I mean, do we know of any text that, uh, in which he has a writing that says, I'm not going to use this one? Not explicitly. We don't have a lot of Marcion's comments on anything, um, other than a few comparisons between passages of the Old Testament and passages, say, of the Gospel of Luke. And he found certain points of comparison and contrast that he made there. So he certainly was very familiar with the, the Old Testament, which was, of course, both the Jewish scripture and the scripture of many early Christians. Um, he thought that uh, the Old Testament was not something that Christians should be primarily looking at for their guidance, uh, for their beliefs, and that some of these other newer texts that had been written by the first followers of Jesus should be the ones that were given the highest respect. And so he was the one who sort of upped the ante on the importance and value of these new compositions that people in the first couple generations after Jesus had, had written. Because really, the, those early Christians, if even that's the right word for them uh, at that time, are, are regarding Scripture as Jewish texts. Is that right? Yeah, of course, Christianity starts as a, as a Jewish sectarian mm -hmm. movement, and many of the first generations of Christians are, are Jewish Christians who see the Jewish Scriptures, the Old Testament, as their authority, and Jesus as a kind of interpreter or rabbi who is uh, bringing a new understanding of these traditions uh, to their attention. Then there are these other communities of Christians uh, who are not Jewish, uh, and Paul really starts uh, that going in terms of reaching out beyond the boundaries of, of the Jewish community to non-Jews who are also interested in Jesus and the message of Jesus. And those two communities, the Jewish Christians and the non-Jewish Christians, coexist in various degrees of, of tension and cooperation, depending on conditions. Right around the time when Marcion lived, um, the Jewish communities around the Roman Empire were connected to rebellions against Roman authority. 
And that sort of created increased tension between Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians, because the non-Jewish Christians didn't necessarily want to be closely identified with these rebels against uh, state authority. And so that probably ended up creating the conditions in which Marcion's kinds of issues about the relationship of Christians to the Jewish tradition would have had uh, a special cachet and, and interest among people who were trying to figure out exactly how they should think of themselves, whether they should think of themselves as Jewish, even if they came from non-Jewish background, or whether they should think of themselves as a separate kind of community now. Who was um, Marcion, and, and how did he become uh, kind of the arch-heretic? <laughs> yeah, the arch-heretic uh, title kind of comes to him from the fact that he's one of the earliest people who, as a distinct personality, uh, proposes a different understanding of Christianity than the other groups of Christians whose word has sort of become orthodoxy and accepted uh, into the later Christian tradition. So Marcion has the misfortune of not having uh, heirs uh, in the modern Christian communities, the people who see themselves as, as tracing themselves back to Marcion. And so he's always going to be looked at as a kind of outsider in that sense. What we know about him is, is just a little bit. Uh, he uh, grew up in what is now northern Turkey, and he got into the shipping business he uh, owned ships and uh, was involved in trade across uh, the Roman Empire. Most trade was done by sea because uh, it was quicker and you could transport more goods in a, in a smaller package, so to speak. So um, he became quite successful at that and, and relatively wealthy and had contacts throughout the Roman Empire. And those contacts probably allowed him to be aware of a larger variety of, of early Christian communities around the empire than most people would have known, because most people would just be local, and Marcion kind of got around through his trade connections. And then when, it, when he began to see that, that his view of Christianity was not the same as some other Christians, and he began to organize a kind of church structure, an institution through which uh, his particular views would be disseminated, he had a kind of advantage through his trade connections to spread that institution rather quickly. And so we have good reason to think that, at least in the second century, uh, Marcion's form of Christianity was probably the most widespread form of Christianity. And these other local groups who disagreed with Marcion took more time to build up and connect with each other and form what later becomes Christian Orthodoxy. So what sources do we have uh, for Marcion? I mean, what did, we, of course, you have his, his reconstructed New Testament, but we don't really have that manuscript as such, but we have, do his, does he have any other writings? In addition to putting together his New Testament, he wrote a kind of introduction to it, which uh, is typically called the antitheses, because the whole focus of this introduction is to contrast the teachings of Jesus with the teachings of the Old Testament, and to show that Jesus was bringing a fundamentally new kind of religious viewpoint into the world. But as you say, um, we don't have any manuscripts uh, of Marcion's writings. Uh, all we have are the words of his opponents. So if you can imagine a, a modern political debate in which you only have one side of that debate characterizing the other, you can imagine how distorted and unfair some of those descriptions and characterizations would be. And that's the situation we have with Marcion. We only can know what he said and thought and did through the words of his opponents or his enemies. And therefore, we have to use a lot of sort of critical analysis and thinking 
to get to what probably is the historical truth of what was going on through this sort of hostile account that we have. And those opponents, who are the Irenaeus, I guess, would be one, what, around 180 and Tertullian sometime in the 200s, were there earlier opponents of him? The earliest opponent we know of was Justin Martyr, who's writing between around 140 and 170. Uh, uh, and he he's our earliest witness to the existence of Marcy, and Marcy was still alive when Justin was alive. And... Um, and Justin criticizes uh, Marcion's views uh, regarding uh, the Jewish scriptures, but he doesn't say much about Marcion as a collector of a New Testament for some reason. And it may be because Justin himself didn't really have an alternative set of Christian scriptures that he was opposing to Marcion. Justin was still working with primarily the Old Testament and then a series of texts that he was familiar with, but did not have a status for him of, of sacred scripture. And therefore, he didn't really take that as a major issue to have with Marcion. Rather, it was Marcion's doctrinal views that, that Justin was concerned with. My guest, if you're just joining us on Religion for Life, is Professor Jason Badoon. He is the Associate Professor of Religious Studies at Northern Arizona University and the author of the First New Testament, Marcion's Scriptural Canon. Looking at uh, the, the the canon itself, how were you able to reconstruct it? Well, we're very fortunate in that his uh, Marcion's opponents were very thorough. And so several of them went to the trouble of quoting from Marcion's own text of the New Testament. And their strategy was they could they thought they could prove that Marcion's doctrinal views were wrong from the basis of his own New Testament. They thought, well, of course, there's no reason for him to accept our scriptures or our viewpoint, but we can show that what he is saying is wrong even from those scriptures he accepts. And that's a very clever strategy. And in the process, they quote repeatedly from his New Testament and say, look, right in your own Bible, it says this, and yet your views are that. And so by that strategy, they gave us a lot of material from which we can piece together I would say about 70 to 80 percent of, of Marcion's New Testament. How do you know if they quoted him correctly? Yeah, that's a real challenge. And uh, what we really rely on there is the fact that more than one of them quotes a particular passage. So we're at our best and our most secure when we can see that multiple people quote the same passage in the same way. But there are a lot of differences. There are a lot of problems of, of reconstruction in that respect. And that's why, unfortunately, I have to burden the reader of my book a little bit with, a, with long sections of notes in which I give all that analysis of how we're able to reconstruct and what the most likely reconstruction is. But for the casual reader, you can skip over that and just read the reconstructions and, and see what impression they make on, just on that basis. Now, he has been, um, was accused by his opponents, uh, ancient ones, including, and modern ones, uh, of shortening or editing, uh, for example, the Gospel of Luke that he calls, what, Eu and Gelion, is that right? And, and is it possible that, that his version is, is more original and uh, that it was added to later? Is there anything about Luke that we know before Marcion? We don't know of the existence of Luke before Marcion, and that's why the question is really an open one of which comes first, the, the longer form of the gospel that is now in modern Christian New Testaments and we call Luke, or the shorter version that appeared in his New Testament and was called the Evangelion. And uh, I often just say Evangelion because that's easier in, in, in English. Um, and that text 
could be an earlier version. It could be that what we now call Luke has had things added to it. Um, the other side of the, of the suggestion that perhaps Marcion shortened his text, that one is really hard to prove because it's hard to show that what is missing, so to speak, from his version really is missing for ideological reasons. It's hard to make a case that what is absent there are things that Marcion in particular would have objected to. Um, and so it's just been assumed because of the hostile attitudes towards Marcion as the arch heretic that he must have been the one to edit the text. But we really don't know for sure which comes first. And the differences between the two do not appear to be primarily differences of, of ideology or theology. Uh, they may be more practical differences in terms of the, the audience that was imagined for the text. So that the longer form that's now in, in modern New Testaments uh, relies a little bit more on familiar, familiarity with the Old Testament. It uses the Old Testament more as a reference point for the life of Jesus. It draws connections between Jesus' life and the Old Testament more than Marcion's version did. And Marcion's version is something that would have been a little more easy to work with in a non-Jewish community, one that didn't have the Old Testament around uh, and was just interested in a, in a story that, that would make sense in, in their own Greek cultural terms. And those differences then aren't necessarily driven by uh, sectarian differences. It could be that the same author wrote two versions of the text, and Marcion received one, and the other Christians received the other, and so that the differences are really rather innocent, rather than being uh, a matter of, of dispute or, or ideological argument. And is it possible also that they could have been uh, just a variance themselves as they're copied from one uh, community to another? Some of the smaller differences, uh, yeah, some of the smaller differences probably are scribal transmission issues. And we have that, of course, all the time. There's no two New Testament manuscripts that are exactly alike. The scribes made changes all the time, sometimes deliberately, sometimes accidentally. And there are a lot of these kind of sort of minor differences between Marcion's gospel and the gospel of Luke that look like those kinds of scribal changes. Uh, there are larger differences, however, omissions of whole passages. I mean, if you treat them as omissions, uh, Marcion's shorter gospel lacks large sections of Luke that uh, that would not be a kind of scribal mistake. It would be a deliberate conscious decision to include or not include certain material in a particular version of the gospel. So, for example, Marcion's gospel does not have a birth story. Yeah, that's what I. That's what I was going to ask next. The, that that whole part is missing. And so, is that um, is there evidence that uh, that that story existed before Marcion, or is it just as likely that the birth narrative narrative was created after Marcion? It could very well have been created after. Uh, the birth story in Luke is quite different in its style than the rest of the Gospel of Luke. And many people, completely unrelated to concerns about Marcion, many biblical scholars have pointed out that uh, the first several chapters of Luke have a very different style and feel to them than the rest of the Gospel. And therefore, they suggested that it might have been a later addition uh, to the text. And so it's possible that it was added to kind of bind this Gospel closer to the Jewish tradition and the Old Testament tradition after Marcion. We have no evidence of its existence before Marcion's time, and so we really can't assume that Marcion took it out. And of course, his enemies would like to say, well, he took it out because his views of Jesus didn't 
like the idea that Jesus had a, a normal human birth or even a, even a miraculous virgin birth. But in fact, if we remember the, the fact that um, neither the Gospel of Mark nor the Gospel of John has a birth story, the fact that Marcion's Gospel didn't have a birth story is not at all remarkable, but actually quite typical of early Gospels. Looking at um, the letters of Paul, is there any significant difference uh, between Marcion's uh, collection there and what eventually uh, came out in the, in the New Testament that we have today? Well, there's a couple levels of difference. One is which letters are there. Uh, mm -hmm. Marcion has a smaller set of letters, and it just so happens that uh, three of the letters that he did not have, which are called the pastoral letters, and that's First and Second Timothy and Titus, um, again, for reasons completely unrelated to Marcion, many modern biblical scholars have suggested that those letters are not actually by Paul, mm -hmm. but were written, written considerably later. So that's a kind of one of those coincidences of scholarly conclusion that can be very significant, that working from the evidence of Marcion, we see that Marcion didn't seem to know those texts, working completely from just analyses of the contents and, and the style of the texts, biblical scholars have also thought those letters are not authentic, Paul. That seems to be a pretty good correlation of evidence that these indeed are later additions to the Pauline collection. And, uh, and not actually by Paul. And so Marcin probably never even knew them. Some people have suggested that the pastoral letters are in some way responding to Marcion and trying to, in a sense, domesticate Paul, recapture Paul away from Marcion's interpretation of him back to uh, what would again become the orthodox position. So that's one level at which we can see a difference in, in Marcion's collection of Paul's letters that's rather significant and corresponds to what a lot of modern researchers think about Paul's letters. And then at another level, uh, inside the, the letters of Paul that Marcion did have, there are some differences. Um, the letter of Romans is, is a little bit shorter uh, than it is in modern New Testaments. There's sections absent there. And there's a couple smaller differences in a couple other letters. But we don't have as good of a reconstruction of of Marcion's Paul collection as we do of his gospel, because the critics just quoted it less often, because they were not as interested in Paul as Marcion was. They were more interested in arguing over the gospel. Now, your book, uh, The First New Testament, Marcion's Scriptural Canon, is really the first published uh, collection as such of, of Marcion's New Testament? Is that is that right? I mean, we've uh, talked about, they've often used Marcion's text in terms of trying to get a, what, uh, for sources for New Testament criticism. But but I, as I understand it, your book is really the first collection as such as a book. Well, it's the first one published in a modern language. Um, you could go back 90 years uh, to a publication by Adolf von Harnack, uh, in which he did a reconstructed Greek text. Um, and so there have been, it's been available to experts um, who have been mostly interested, as you said, in getting little bits of information out of it for modern biblical uh, text criticism to help mm -hmm. figure out what is the best text of the New Testament. Because regardless of what one thinks of Marcy, and he is one of our earliest witnesses to the text of New Testament texts, and He's also by far the most extensive witness to those texts in the second century, far more than any other second century writer. So he's been valued by biblical scholars for that reason. But in terms of a broader audience, in terms of uh, 
college students or the interested educated public. There's been no efforts to make this text available to a wider variety of people who might be interested in knowing what the earliest New Testament actually looked like. And so that was my primary motive for, for putting the book together, is something I've always wanted to do. And as I said, I finally had an opportunity uh, to do that and, and to help people start to appreciate the complex history of the New Testament, that it wasn't just there as a whole from the very beginning, that it was, has a process of development. It took several centuries. And Marcion, who, as you say, is often regarded as the arch-heretic, despite that status, played a crucial uh, and decisive role in forming the New Testament. Because if it really wasn't for him, we might not have had a, a canon as such. I mean, he kind of paved that road, didn't he? He really did. Um, we think that, you know, Christianity has always been a religion of the book. But in fact, you know, many generations of Christians lived and died faithfully as Christians without reading any books. And uh, of course, most people were illiterate uh, before modern times as well. So even when books were important in Christianity, they were usually accessed orally uh, rather than um, people actually reading them. And Christianity, there's no reason to think that Christianity would have become primarily a religion of the book. Most other religions of the time were not. They were religions where people gathered and told stories and went through rituals and ceremonies and, of course, had, had ethics and, and values of various kinds. And it simply wasn't a culture that thought first and foremost in terms of literacy and, and books. So Marcion brought a kind of distinctive emphasis on text. And there's probably a whole interesting story behind that in terms of rivalries over authority, who mm -hmm. speaks for Jesus, who leads the Christian tradition, and where do you turn for certainty about what is true and what is not true in Christianity. And it probably Marcion turned to text as a kind of trump card in uh, debates and arguments over, over leadership and doctrine within early Christianity. Jason Badoon has been my guest on Religion for Life. He's the author of the first New Testament, Marcion's Scriptural Canon. Uh, Jason, thank you for your work and for uh, spending time with me today on Religion for Life. Thank you, John. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. My name is John Shuck. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Our website is fpcelizabethton.org. More information about this program, including links to podcasts, can be found at religionforlife.com. Follow Religion for Life on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and listen to us on iTunes. Religion for Life is co-produced by WETS-FM on the campus of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC-FM on the campus of Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia. Be well.